welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Mel Pohl, the Chief Medical Officer of the Las Vegas Recovery Center and a major force behind that center's development of the Chronic Pain Recovery Program. He's also the author of A Day Without Pain and the Pain Antidote. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks. Tom. Welcome, Mel. Um, Mel is um, somebody I've known for a few years. We don't exactly remember where we met. And we have trained each other back and forth. And I do not know a lot about addiction. Mel is an expert in addiction. And he's birth certified family practice. He has about 20 titles after his name. But he's been the acting medical director of the Las Vegas Recovery Center for how long, Mel? Uh, Have you been there? 17 years since we opened. Okay. And uh, so, Mel, if you just introduce, introduce yourself a little bit more to the audience, that would be great. And what you're doing now. Sure. So uh, I, I've been doing addiction uh, work since 1979 when I finished my residency. I kind of drifted into it partly because of, uh, of how interesting the, the, the care of people with addiction is, partly because of my own substance issues that came to light over the course of the first three years of my active practice. So, uh, And uh, 17 years ago, Las Vegas Recovery Center opened uh, about five to seven years into that process, uh, we d- developed a specialty in treating opioid dependence. Um, okay. Ju- just the, the luck of the draw, kind of. You know, we just got a lot of opiate addicts, and we had a license to dispense methadone so we can use methadone in detox. And we get these very complex cases of patients who had severe opioid dependence, and usually benzodiazepine sedative dependence. Uh, Sometimes they were drinking alcoholically. And at least 50%, sometimes 60 or 70% of them, after they got off their opioids, would say to me, what are you going to do about my pain? Because I started on these opioids because of pain. Right. And, you know, I'd sort of look at them and say, well, I guess you go back to your pain doctor, uh, which is a pretty shabby solution when all, all the pain doctor had been offering the patient was medications and on higher and higher doses as you and I know is a big problem. So right. got very, I got very interested in the, the treatment center uh, sort of backed me up in creating uh, what's used to be known as a functional restoration program. Uh, okay. In the old days, you know, where uh, after the opioids are gone and the benzos are gone and the sleeping pills are gone, we work with people on their pain. Uh, right. You know, most of the principles are congruent with what you've taught me over the years. You know, I, I, I count you as one of my mentors. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we look at the psychology of pain very closely uh, and tease out the, the need or the use of, of substances to treat that uh, because those are the, the use of substances is complicating in the long run. So could you explain to the audience just the nature of addiction in general? Uh, yeah, I mean, the addiction, the terminology is even complex these days. The, the, the proper terminology, if you look at the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, is substance use disorder. 
but I like the term addiction. It's familiar. It, it makes sense. And to define addiction, it's, a, it's a, a syndrome, if you will, of symptoms that relate to brain illness uh, and the response of the brain to substances, uh, opioids, benzos, alcohol, stimulants. And because of this, it turns out, significantly genetically uh, mediated uh, brain physiology, a person responds to the drug in an abnormal way. As a result of that, they lose control. So the symptoms of addiction are they lose control, which means when they start taking a drug, they end up using more than they intended to. So the, the phenomenon of loss of control is I take one pill, and did I take that pill? I better take a second one. Or right. I take a drink, I go out with some friends, and uh, somebody has some cocaine, and the next thing I know, I'm in Salt Lake City in jail, and I don't know how I got there because I blacked out. So that's the loss of control phenomenon. It doesn't mean use every day. It doesn't mean a particular quantity and frequency of use. It means when I start, there's an unpredictable outcome. So that's, that's characteristic number one. Secondly, as you well know, when you take a drug like an opiate or a benzo or alcohol, over time it stops working because of tolerance. Right. So tolerance is one of the symptoms of addiction. It results in a higher dose of use. And eventually, if you use on a regular basis, which tends to happen in the latter stages of addiction, then you become physically dependent, which means you can't live comfortably without the substance. I need the substance to feel any modicum of normal. And then the, the, the final uh, presenting symptom is that I use the substance to give me relief from some symptoms or to give me reward, to give me a boost, to give me an elevation of mood. And over the course of time, because of tolerance, the benefits diminish and the negatives increase. So the negatives like problems in my relationships, problems with my ability to work or earn a living, problems that with breaking the law or doing dangerous things, uh, and, and physical problems or psychological problems. So you put that constellation together, and that defines the disease, the brain disease of addiction. And then the last symptom that makes the addiction very complicated to treat is that in the absence of the substance, I want the substance. And that's the phenomenon of craving. So, so yeah. I'm curious from a physician standpoint, and I'm embarrassed to say after 40 years of being in medicine that I don't quite understand this yet. So there's, there's a difference between opioids for chronic pain, <clears throat> which has its you know, pluses and minuses, and we, I think we're thinking now that probably opioids are probably never indicated for chronic pain. But there's a difference between depending on the opioids for your pain relief versus becoming addicted. Yeah. Is, there a, is there a difference from, well, in your mind? Yeah. I mean, just, if you just define addiction, yeah. you see people just taking you know, a reasonable dose of narcotics long term for chronic pain that actually they're not really addicted per se. It's a very astute question. And what, what happened after our program got up and running was we would have people of the nature that you described. They would take their, they'd go to their doctor, they'd take the medications that were prescribed because of tolerance, which just happens. So tolerance and dependence is not necessarily addiction. It's right. part of addiction, but you become tolerant if you take the drug on a regular basis. And after a while, you can't stop because of physical dependence. Right. So then the the definition of addiction gets really murky for the person who is taking their drug 
for pain because, gee, I'm taking it for pain. I'm not going to the street. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not really having fun with it. I'm not getting intoxicated. I'm just working to relieve my pain. So the, one of the best definitions of addiction is the pathological pursuit of reward, which is that getting high phenomenon, or relief. So now we go back, you know, either one down, is the patient who has chronic pain, who pursues that drug, runs out a little bit early because they've taken a few extra doses because they didn't quite notice that, the, that they were overusing, and maybe they borrow from their spouse or they, uh, you know, sometimes they buy some extra, not for any nefarious purposes, but simply to relieve their pain. So right. there is a subtle difference between that patient and the young 23-year-old uh, who started smoking pot when he was 14 and you know was, was taking pills when he could get them, and now he's out smoking or shooting heroin uh, and, and, and using some methamphetamine to wake up in the morning. There are differences when you look at that clinical presentation, but there are also similarities. And the similarities, as I understand it, is the way that opiate works in the brain of the patient who has chronic pain is different than the way, say, somebody who's dependent on antihypertensive medication. You know, if you're taking uh, low pressure every day because you have high blood pressure, you can't stop. You, you know, you might get tolerant physically dependent, but you don't have that relationship to the drug. And the real, the essence of the, the, the effect of, a, of, let's say, an opioid in the brain of somebody who has addiction is that it works on the reward center, you know, that middle part of the brain, right, turns out as the same part of the brain where pain is experienced. So I'll stop. And I, I, I've heard that um, people with um, opioid addiction have a hypersensitivity to dopamine. In other words, they tend to have over dopamine rush than somebody who's not addicted. Is that true? Yes. Well, the, the, the brain phenomena that I talked about at the beginning is that when you put an opioid in the brain of somebody who has addiction, it fits the receptor like a key into a lock. Okay. And that receptor, the, in, in the case of the opioid receptor, there's pain relief. Right. There's also well-being, and well-being is always dopamine. Okay. And typically, if you talk to somebody who's in trouble with their opioid, we, we could call it addiction. Jane Ballantyne, who I think is a colleague of yours, right. referred to it as complex dependence. It's not really just physical dependence. It's something more than that. But it's not, a, a, you know, it's, it's certainly a cousin of the person who has heroin addiction who's out scoring drugs. But it's not the same. It's not the same animal. Um, but it's, it is related to dopamine. So, so if somebody takes their opioid and they have opioid dependence or addiction, they get a buzz. They get a they get a, a, an elevated sense of mood. Not a high, but just, you know, I, I feel okay. I can clean the house. I can get out of bed. And without it, I can't. All right. Just to be clear for the audience, dopamine, <clears throat> by the way, is a neurotransmitter. They give, it's called a reward chemical. So high levels of dopamine <clears throat> are safety contentment, just feeling good. And so it talks about the dopamine. That's, that's what's happening there. So can you discuss the what we call the hypersensitivity or the upregulation of the opioids? In other words, people get sensitized to the opioids. And I was shocked the last 10 years of my practice when this came around, because I always thought it was just tolerance. Yeah. Then we had the sensitivity thing coming into place. 
and we would take people off opioids and have the pain go down dramatically. I was just blown away. Yeah. So two, two phenomena with chronic use of opioids. One you've already described, which is the physical dependence. What that means is if I, my body needs the drug to feel normal, in between doses, the pain goes up. So if I'm taking oxycodone as prescribed every six hours or oxycontin every 12 hours, it wears off in two or three hours and my pain spikes. I might not take an extra drug, but I'm going to be driven to take an extra drug. Right. That's physical dependence. But besides that, and independent of tolerance and physical dependence, opioids are pro-inflammatory in the central nervous system, we found. So they activate these particular support cells of the neurons called glial cells. Okay. Cells can produce inflammatory neurotransmitters like uh, NMDA, and I can't tell you what exactly that stands for, but it's right. I can't either. Yeah, good. Uh, <clears throat> so we can look look that up. NMDA and glutamate. Glutamate is another neurotransmitter that's involved with excitation of the nervous system. It's right. also coincidentally involved with craving for alcohol, but that's a that's kind of a side topic. But you can see that these these uh, circuits are all interrelated, as as you well know. There's feedback from one to the other. But if you take opioids chronically, the brain gears up the level of pain and the net effect is you have more pain on the opioid than off. And we found the same thing. We can take people off their opioids and that's our first step in treating these patients, which we'll talk about uh, in the next segment, I believe. But right. if you stop the opioid, within a week or two, the pain level tends to go down. And of course, patients don't really believe that. <laughs> It's, it's, it's quite a hard sell. I mean, they look at me and they say, you know, dude, that doesn't make any sense. And right. you, know why, you know why they're convinced that it doesn't work? They say, I know that that's not true because I've tried going off the opioid. I went a whole day without the opioid or I ran out for a day right. and my pain spiked through the roof. And then I get a chance to explain to them that that's simply physical dependence and withdrawal. That, right. that will change over the course of time. And the the real problem in the treatment is getting the patient able to di diminish or, or stop their, their opioid. That's complicated and it's difficult. It's like an, uh, an opioidectomy, you know? Right. You can't do it without pain. Well, I was, well shocked. I was shocked at the number of times people would come off, off their opioids and have the pain drop down dramatically. And I, I didn't really believe it myself. And now I do know, like you said, that opioids are inflammatory and really should never be used for chronic pain. I mean, I think we're finally figuring that out as a medical profession that opioids are really inflammatory. They do change the brain. Long-term, they're sort of a disaster. So what would, you say, what would you say maybe two weeks after an injury should be the max of opioids or even shorter than that? Well, you, you know, the one study said that if you're on an opioid for 10 days, there's a 20% likelihood you're going to be on it at a year. Wow. So you can't be casual even with acute pain so it's minimal dose for a shorter period of time. Uh, you know, our medical profession, of course, is skewed totally the other way. You go in for a, I mean, I had a minor surgical procedure and I told the doctor I didn't want any opioids. And she said, you know what, I'm going to give you a script just in case. And I was, <laughs> when I woke up from anesthesia, I had 50 10 milligram oxycodones in a prescription. 50. Well, I did the same thing. I would write for like a hundred, so it wouldn't have to, so people wouldn't have to call into the office. Because I, I mean, the doctors are well intentioned. I mean, we want to help people's pain, but I honestly had no idea that opioids were inflammatory. 
And of course, I was in the same era you were, like in the 90s, where we were told to put people on opioids. Yes. Well, it, we, the, the, the pitch was we're undertreating pain. Correct. It's, it's brutal. And you know, of course, the story of the opioid manufacturers' involvement in all of this. And, you know, right. there are huge multi-billion dollar lawsuits, multi-state lawsuits because of that because they really did mislead the public and they mislead the, med misled the medical profession, clearly, no question about it. Yeah, we were very well-intentioned trying to put people on drugs because we, as you know, chronic pain is complicated. Physicians aren't trained very well in treating chronic pain. So that was one thing we could do pretty quickly was let's give us some opioids. So it wasn't a moral issue. I mean, obviously not everybody knows the downside, but that seemed like the best thing to do at the time. Can you comment on the cannabinoids, the, the cannabis drugs? Because I mean, to me, it seems like they're more promising because they are, they are anti-inflammatory. There's obviously multiple receptors in the body. And of course, there's about 100 different types of molecules. So I'm really curious, is there a potential for the cannabinoids to fill a role? Yeah, I, I'm wary of the, the, the process because, you know, just like with pharmaceutical manufacturers, I don't really trust the cannabis industry because it's all about making billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars right. uh, at, the, at the feet of, of, of a sick, suffering patient. Now, that said, right. if you look at the science, CBD, cannabidiol, uh, is, the, is the substance that I'm most interested in. I think that's what was discussed on your show with uh, um, Jim that, Taylor. Yeah, from, uh, from North Carolina. It was a great, right. great show, by the way. CBD is anti-inflammatory, it's anxiolytic, takes anxiety down, and it improves sleep in, in pretty good-sized studies. And of course, it's anti-seizure. The concern I have is about THC. You know, tetrahydrocannabinol is the intoxicating ingredient in the cannabis plant. And right. it, in my opinion, is going to end up as problematic or more as the opioids. Now, it's, it's not, it doesn't involve overdose, so it's not as dramatic as, as opioids because, right. you know, it's the, the deaths from the opioids that really brought everybody to, to the forefront of, of paying attention. But THC, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know any other way to say it, but it's, it's, a, it's not a great drug. And the potency of the substances that are available now is so high. And right. I, I see the consequences. I see the consequences, particularly in adolescent brains, uh, it, it's not, it's not good for our society. It's not, and it's not THC itself is not good for pain is not good for anxiety. Right. Fact, it increases anxiety, causes psychosis. And okay. so if, if we're talking about CBD and we have right. a source of CBD, that is really CBD. Right. I'm very interested in, in the potential. Uh, and, and what about ketamine? Have you, have you any experience with ketamine at all? Or do you know much about that? Well, ketamine, as I'm sure you know, is a dissociative anesthetic. Right. Doesn't jump out at me as something that I want to get very involved with, especially with somebody who has an addictive process going on in their brain. That said, there are some preliminary studies with ketamine infusions, intravenous infusions with depression, and there are some with pain. I, I don't have a, a broad enough knowledge about the use in pain. The ones for depression... The data is, is lit, you know, small study, so we, so we don't know for sure. But it feels like a really drastic intervention. You know, right. you go in for an IV, uh, 
I think weekly for, for eight to 12 weeks. The patients that I've talked to who've had it done have not had very good benefit and they've had pretty bad side effects. And again, ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. It's, it's, one of my observations, I mean, 40% of my entire practice was with IV drug addicts with infected spines. So I get to know these people really well. <clears throat> and I was extremely impressed that the pain that they were dealing with, dealing with was actually anxiety. The mental pain was yeah. just intolerable. And the drug, I mean, it seems like the opioids actually have some effect, at least temporarily, on anxiety. Yes. And, but it seems like the mental pain is a huge problem. But I'm also, I'm asking the question in the context, there seems to be a lot more opioid, IV heroin, et cetera, than there was 30 years ago. Is, is, are the, is the data just more accurate now, reflecting what is happening, or is it really gone up? I don't think, I mean, I'd have to look at the, the tables from the CDC, that intravenous use of opioids is necessarily high. And one of the reasons for that is that heroin, which is the primary drug that people would inject, though you could crush up the pills and, and inject them as well, uh, but heroin is, is readily available in a smokable form. So you, you don't have to use it intravenously. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, most of the patients that we see who are abusing heroin, and that's the vast majority of, of people under 25 who are involved with an opioid, most of those are smoking heroin. And of course, now the, the real issue is that the, ma the majority of the overdoses from opioids are from this uh, fentanyl that's right. being, uh, you know, it's being cut, the, the drugs are being cut. So powdered fentanyl typically comes from Asia where it's produced and it comes in a very small little package. And this package, because of the potency of fentanyl, is enough to uh, over-medicate, you know, millions of people. Uh, could, so, you could you explain the, to the audience about how every narcotic is essentially the same? It's really the route of delivering the dosage and also compare fentanyl maybe to morphine and to heroin? Sure. Uh, so the, the addictive nature of the drug is related to two things. One is the rapidity of onset of the effect. Okay. So you have a fast on short acting drug like heroin, it is very quick on, especially if you inject it into the vein or okay. you smoke it into the lungs. Smoking okay. gets you an equivalent brain uh, concentration within eight to 10 seconds as intravenous. So, okay. Wow. So now, but you would say, well, what about nicotine? You know, you smoke nicotine, so you get a very rapid high. However, the second component is the intensity of the intoxication. So okay. nicotine is addicting, but it's not as intoxicating as methamphetamine or as cocaine. So right. intravenous cocaine, zip and high intensity high, smoking a cigarette, zip, but low intensity high. Right. Um, and you know, when you come into the potency, we, we look at the equivalent dose of a drug for morphine Morphine is, let's say, one milligram of morphine equivalent is about, I believe, uh, uh, a microdose of fentanyl. Fentanyl is so potent that it's like 0.001 milligrams of uh, fentanyl is equivalent to a milligram of morphine. Is, is, it, is fentanyl more or less powerful than heroin? Fentanyl is more potent than heroin. It is. Okay. Quite a bit more? Quite a bit more. And okay. 
the, the problem is a little bit of fentanyl is so potent that people end up using that amount of the powder that they assume is heroin and they overdose because it's so much more powerful that it suppresses their respiration. So I'd like to finish up this segment with just one question that um, I'm excited about talking about how to actually treat this, but, and again, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, <clears throat> but codeine, hydrocodone, oxycodone, heroin, fentanyl, Demerol, at the end of the day, you can, they essentially all do the same thing. They're all basically opioids, right? Correct. So people think that somehow ton of codeine is different than heroin, and it is because it's a lot less potent, but it's still the same drug in a way, right? There's a different. It's a tablet form of, a, of heroin, just not as potent. Yes, absolutely. Right. So I think what is important for people to understand is that if you're dealing with a tunnel or Vicodin addiction, you're still in the same pathway as heroin. And it does end up that direction at some point. People, and of course, nobody plans on being an addict, right? right. Nobody likes being an addict. Correct. And I think that I've been blown away since I was, a, since I was first year medical school, how devastating opioid addiction is to everybody. It is, it, is, it is incredible. Yeah, I mean, you write a lot about families with chronic pain. Well, families with addiction are, you know, for every addict, about five people are affected in some way. And, you know, that's gonna be the immediate family, might be the friend or the boss. And uh, yeah, it's devastating. I mean, I talk, I probably spend more time now, I'm, I'm not actively involved with clinical care as I was before, but I'm consultative to the program. And I'll talk to families about what can we do with our kid or what can I do with my spouse? And right. agony of being the co-dependent, if you will, is, is tragic. It's oh, it, it is terrible. I mean, you as a physician, seeing these people in the clinic and how helpless they are, how frustrated they are. Yeah. And, you know, people, I think addicts get labeled unfairly, like there's somehow some type of weakness that they have. Nobody wants to be an addict. They're not happy about it. Yeah, I, I mean, just briefly, you know, the, the, the morality and the, the will and the strength of character all happens in the frontal lobe. Addiction right. is in the midbrain. Oh, okay. That's a big point. It's not about, I want to do this. I mean, there's right. no addict. I can tell you, I've worked with thousands of addicts over the last 30, 40 years. Right. And nobody wants the life that they have. No, it's and terrible. It's it horrible. set out intending to ruin theirs and other people's lives. But, right. the, but the draw, that craving in the absence of the drug is so powerful that it, you know, and then, then there's a whole bunch of psychological defense mechanisms like denial, you know, it's not that bad, minimization and rationalization, right. I got to use because of my pain. And, right. you know, they end up behind it again with it. It's, it's inadvertent. You know, it's not, it's not a straight line from I want it and I do it and I don't give a hell what, what happens to anybody else. Right. Not so, Mel, so could you um, let us know the books that you've written and how to access some of your resources? Uh, the treatment center is LasVegasRecoveryCenter.com is our, our website. Um, our phone number is 702-515-1374. And somebody from the admissions department will always talk at, at no cost. Um, my book is uh, A Day Without Pain and The Pain Antidote. Uh, and a lot of the, you know, our lives are parallel in the sense that we learned a lot from our patients and then we wrote about it. Uh, right. So, well, Mel, thank you very much. This is wonderful. Great. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Mel Pohl, for being on the show today. 
and sharing his insights into the nature of addiction and its relationship to chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.